One of my favorite shows as a kid, maybe some of you watched this too, was The A-Team. Anyone watch The A-Team? Yeah, there's a movie that came out about 10 years ago about The A-Team. For those of you who are not familiar with The A-Team, you had four guys who were in the military. They got court-martialed for a crime they did not commit. And then they dedicated their lives to clearing their names and while they were working on that, they, they just defeated a bunch of bad guys together. It was a great show, week to week. Bad guys getting beat up. I mean, it was wonderful. There were several characters that were part of the A-Team, including the two that you see on your screen. The big, strong guy, B.A. Baracus, Mr. T. He was the real tough one. He was the muscles of the group. And then you had Hannibal Smith. Hannibal Smith was the leader he was the one who put all the plans together. He's the one who laid out the scheme. He's the one who told the guys exactly how this was going to be done. And then they executed it. And for those of you who know the show or the movie, what did Hannibal Smith say when everything got worked out and the bad guys got defeated? What did he say? I love it when a plan comes together. And there was this look of satisfaction on his face every time the plan came together. Now, this is a plan for TV, for a movie, this is not real life, and yet if we go back several hundred years in our Bibles, we see that there was this guy, the Apostle Paul, who is essentially saying in the first century when he wrote this letter, I love it when a plan comes together. Not a plan devised by humans, not a plan with flaws, not a plan designed for TV or movies, but a heavenly plan, a divine plan, a perfectly orchestrated plan. And the Apostle Paul, as he is writing to these Ephesian Christians, is celebrating the plan of God. Now, Paul calls this a mystery. I want to put this up on the screen for you. He calls this, we see it over and over again in chapter 3, this mystery, 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 a mystery that was revealed. He's not talking about a mystery like we sometimes think of it, uh, like you're reading a work of fiction, you're reading a novel, and it's a whodunit, who committed the crime, and by the end of it, it's revealed, the mystery is over, you now know who did it. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean a mystery like a modern medical mystery. You know, why can't we come up with a cure for Alzheimer's or cancer? I mean, these things are mysteries, head scratchers. He's not talking about that either. When Paul uses the word mystery, he is referring to the fact that before time began, Almighty God created a plan, and he is working it out perfectly through history. The plan involved sending Jesus Christ, his son, to live, to die, to be raised from the dead, all so that people could be saved. It's an amazing plan. It's a glorious plan. And Paul is saying in this portion, chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, and turn there with me to the book of Ephesians, Paul is saying in chapter 3, this mystery, this eternal plan of God has now been revealed first to the Apostle Paul, but also to us. This plan that God has worked out from the beginning is coming to completion, and it's glorious. It's perfect because it is God's plan. It's Paul basically saying, I love it when God's plan comes together. 
Now, when Paul tells us this, there's so much packed in here, and we'll talk about it this morning. But when Paul says this, one of the things that he's getting at that is glorious is the fact that if it is God's plan that is being worked out, if, if God from the beginning has known exactly what's going to happen because he planned it and he's perfect and he's wise and he's, he's making the plan happen, then he wants to make sure that we don't ever believe that somehow God is a haphazard God. That somehow God is reacting to what is going on in the world around us. Like God is trying to keep plates spinning, and, and when one of them wobbles, he runs over to it, and if one of them falls, he grabs it. He's not a God who's not in charge. He is not a God who is simply looking around and going, oh, that didn't go the way it should. Oh, I'm going to fix that, and oh, I'm going to try to fix this. No, the glorious part of God's plan is it's his plan, and he is working it out perfectly. Paul owns the fact that for many generations, God's people did not understand this plan fully. They knew there was going to be some kind of a, a savior, a, a messiah. They knew that God was going to send someone, but they didn't quite understand what it was going to be like. They didn't understand exactly what he was going to do. And so now that it's been revealed to Paul, and Paul is revealing it to the Ephesians, and we now have it revealed to us, Paul is celebrating God's revealed mystery, his eternal plan that is being worked out. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. If you're not already there, if you don't have a Bible with you, open the Village Bible Church app. There's a Bible right on there. You can go to Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, as I read this, you'll see Paul using this word over and over again, mystery, 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 celebrating the revealed plan of God. God always knew what he was doing, but now he has let us know what he's doing, and Paul says it is glorious. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 1. Follow along with me. I want to point out as I begin reading, though, one of the really exciting things about this, the fact that Paul in his excitement about this revealed eternal plan, kind of in the moment as he's writing this, he sort of pivots a little bit. Paul, earlier in Ephesians, has already talked about the fact that he's prayed for these Christians. These Christians in this city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, Paul sent them this letter and let them know that he was praying for them, and Paul got ready to, again in the same letter, remind them of this prayer. Look at verse 1. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner on behalf of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's sort of this digression. And if you look at verse 14, you see, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So pause there. So at the beginning of this, what do we need to understand about what Paul is saying? Paul is getting ready to once again say, hey, I'm praying for you guys. I've been praying for you. I'm continuing to pray for you. Uh, really specific language here. You know, Bow my knees before the Father, all for you people. But he is so excited about this plan, this revealed mystery, that there's this digression before he says, hey, and I'm praying for you guys again. He goes, oh, and by the way, let's celebrate what God is doing. I want you to feel Paul's excitement when I read this, and we'll talk a little more about that later, but I want you to feel the fact that he is just overwhelmed by the fact that a mystery 
A plan that has been hidden is now revealed. We know about this good news. So here's Paul. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, pray for you. No, no, no. Diversion. He digresses over here. No, no, no. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul is saying, this has not been known, it is brand new insight that God is giving me and I am giving you. Something new is going on. God's plan is being worked out. What is that plan? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Pause there. Paul is celebrating the revealed plan of God, hidden for ages, now made known, not only to him, but also to us. So he details a little bit about this eternal plan. What's going on? What is God doing? Beginning with the fact that God's eternal plan involves creating a church for everyone. God's eternal plan involves creating a church for everyone. Pastor Tim talked about this a little bit last week. Paul repeats it here in this passage. There was a time when there was nothing but division in the land of Israel concerning who was God's people and who was not God's people? Who's part of this group and who's not part of this group? There was this Jew and Gentile divide, Jew and non-Jew, and it was a serious divide. This wasn't just a disagreement. You know, you, you, you like this team, I like that team. You like the Cubs, I like the Sox. This was no mere disagreement. This was weighty. There were literal walls of division between these people. In the ancient temple in Jerusalem, which is where people would have gone to worship in the time of Paul, there were all of these different courts, all of these areas where certain people could worship. You had a court where Jewish men could worship. You had a court where Jewish women could worship. You had a court where the priests who were there serving would take the sacrifices from the people and would offer these sacrifices to God. Only priests could be in that area. Inside the temple, there was a chamber way deep inside called the Holy of Holies, and only one person, the high priest, could go into that room one day a year in order to offer sacrifices on the behalf of the people. 
to give you kind of some insight into how seriously God took those divisions. Anyone other than that high priest coming in any more than that one day a year would die. This is serious stuff. Outside of all of this was a wall around the temple, and the area outside of that wall was called the Court of the Gentiles. If you are not a Jew, don't you dare come past that wall. Don't you dare even get near our temple. You are not a worshiper of our God. How seriously did they take this? Archaeologists have discovered a stone that was put into this wall separating the Gentiles, the non-Jews, from the Jews. And on this stone is a warning that essentially says anyone who's not a Jew who crosses this wall will be responsible for their own death. Okay, that's some serious division. If you're not a Jew and you go beyond this wall, you're going to die and it's your own fault. Consider yourself warned. So for generations upon generations, there was that level of division and hostility. Jews and non-Jews. You're over there. You're shameful. You're not part of God's people. You're less than us. I mean, this is really, really challenging for the fighting between these two groups of people. And then Paul comes in. Paul meets Jesus. Paul has God's eternal plan revealed to him, and Paul finds out something that is absolutely earth-shattering given the level of hostility between these groups of people. Paul learns that what is happening in Jesus' death and resurrection and the ability for people to come to Christ for forgiveness is Jesus is building one church for everyone that anyone can belong to. And see, Paul says this. Look at verse 6. The mystery, the eternal plan that's been revealed, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You know, this is one sentence. Uh, Paul described it a little bit in chapter 2 that Pastor Tim talked about last week. Uh, Gentiles are now part of the club. You know, they can be part of the family too. And for those of us who are not living in that level of hostility, we we sort of gloss over that when we read it. Uh, Okay, Gentiles are part of the family too. Good, because I'm a Gentile. Good, glad I can be part of the family. We just sort of gloss over that, not getting how groundbreaking this was. This was rocking people's worlds. What do you mean the Gentiles can be in? What do you mean they can be a part of the family? What do you mean Jesus, our Messiah, died for them too? What are you talking about, Paul? There were walls of hostility that had been there for hundreds of years, and they were not going to break down easily. And yet Paul explains, again, I talked about the excitement in his voice sort of as he's writing this out. What Paul is explaining is that is the best news ever that there is now one family of God that anyone can belong to. It doesn't matter what your background is. You're all welcome in God's family. This is the message he wants to spread far and wide. This is the message he was willing to be imprisoned for and even die for. The message that everyone can come to Jesus. This is the message we need to be reminded of as well, both for people in our lives and for ourselves. We need to be reminded that this isn't an exclusive club in the sense that certain people must stay out and others come in. Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior for the forgiveness of their sins is a part of God's family. 
no distinction, no racial distinction, no ethnic distinction, no socioeconomic distinction, doesn't matter how much you make or how much you don't make, doesn't matter whether you're blue collar or white collar or no longer collared, is that what they call retirees? I, I don't know what they say, you're no longer collared, I don't know. Doesn't matter, you're free. <laughs> oh, to be free, yes. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're married or not, have kids, don't have kids. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what's in your background. Everyone is invited to be a part of God's family. It's glorious good news. It was revealed to Paul and has now been revealed to us. Now, we need to know this and be reminded of this because subtly there are times when we, we may not say it, but there are times when we look at people around us, other people in our lives, and there's something inside of us that says, I'm not quite sure that I want that person in the family. I'm not quite sure I want that person to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm not quite sure they deserve it. I'm not quite sure that heaven would be heaven if that person was there. Right? There are these people that we have conflicts with, and we go, I don't know. I mean, Jesus died for everyone, but I don't know about that one. We need to be reminded of the truth that Paul is saying here. Jesus died for all. We should be begging God to do something in the lives of the people around us so that they too can respond to the good news of Jesus just like we did and become a part of his family. Instead of putting up barriers, dividing walls that Jesus came to break down, we should be begging God, break down any walls in my mind, in my heart. Allow me to remember and to celebrate the fact that Jesus is for all. We need this reminder about how we treat other people, but we also need this reminder for ourselves. Because what happens sometimes? In our minds, we know that we are followers of Jesus. I am a sinner who needs a Savior, and Jesus in his death and resurrection is my Savior. I've placed my faith in him. I've repented of my sins. I've been forgiven. I am promised heaven, eternity with God. I mean, we know this in our head, but in our hearts is where we have the struggle with this. We come to church, read our Bibles, do what Christians do, and yet we're not totally sure that God really loves us. We're not totally sure that he's willing to forgive someone like us. You know, you don't know what I've done you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I came from. And we, because of our sins, because of our mistakes, because of the shame that we carry and the regret, what we do is we push ourselves down so that we say, I'm not so sure. I, I think maybe Jesus is for all those other people, but I'm just not sure he's for me. And what God is saying through Paul is, Jesus is for everyone who comes to him in faith for the forgiveness of their sins. Even you, even me. No distinctions anymore. That's good news. That's the greatest news. That's why Paul's so excited here. 
doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what your background is, Jesus is for you. All you have to do is acknowledge your need for him and repent of your sin, and he is faithful to forgive you. That's all you have to do. Paul is celebrating this. It's one of the reasons he's so excited about this revealed mystery, this plan of God that is now being not only told to Paul, but told to all of us. God's plan involves creating a church for everyone. If you're visiting, you are welcome here in the family of God. Please understand this. When you see someone on the street, they are people who are invited to be part of the family of God people you struggle to get along with, they are invited to be a part of the family of God, and we need to beg God to do something in their lives, just like he did in ours. When there's this group of people together, and, uh, and we are worshiping together, and we are studying God's word together, we are praying for each other, serving each other, encouraging each other, there is something beautiful that is going on here, And that's what Jesus died for. To come, not just to save individuals, okay, he did that, but to save a group of people that would gather together here at Village Bible Church and at other churches in our area and state and country and all around the world. People who come together unified, not allowing any walls of hostility to go up, but saying, we are all saved by Jesus. We are all sisters and brothers. We are all united in Christ, one family of God. And there's something beautiful about those walls being torn down and God's people being gathered together to worship him, to care for one another, to grow in Christ. There's something beautiful. It's all part of God's eternal plan. And Paul celebrates this, celebrates the fact that the plan's been revealed to him and it's been revealed to us, but there's something else. There's something being revealed to this other group of beings that is a real head-scratcher, okay? Because Paul says, not only is the eternal plan revealed to him and revealed to us, but it is also being revealed in the heavenly realms. Now, I've talked to several of you about your small group studies this week. And those I talked to have all said, what is going on in the heavenly realms? What is this? This is the head scratcher. Because here's what Paul explains. In this passage and in later passages in Ephesians that Pastor Tim will go through, what we're finding is there is a physical world that you and I are living in and we can see things, we can breathe, we can eat, we can interact with one another and have relationships. There's this physical world that we're all a part of. But what Paul is letting us know is there is also a spiritual realm, a heavenly realm. And there are heavenly beings, good and bad, God's side and Satan's side. And they are in this spiritual heavenly realm, and they're duking it out. Paul will say later in Ephesians, there is a battle that is going on in the heavenly realm. We're a part of it in our prayers and and our obedience difficult to understand. It is mysterious. And yet Paul says, there is this battle that is going on, and you're a part of it, and and these beings are a part of it, and, and that's what we really need to stay focused on. Now, what this battle looks like exactly, I don't know. Part of me wishes God told me more. Part of me wishes that God explained exactly what was going on with angels and demons and battling and what they look like and all this. Part of me wishes. But I have a feeling 
if God showed me, I would run like a scared little boy. Right? It, it, this battling of heavenly creatures and fighting and duking it out. And what in the world is going on? So here's what Paul wants us to know. Not exactly what is going on in that spiritual world that we can't see, no matter how hard we look. He doesn't want us to know exactly what's going on, exactly what it looks like, but he wants us to know that it's happening. There is a spiritual battle, God's team versus Satan's team. The great news is we've read the end of the story and we know God wins, right? We know this. I mean, this, this isn't a battle of equals here, and, and we're watching with popcorn, wondering how the whole thing's going to end, right? No, we know how it's going to end. We've read the end of the book. Jesus wins. And yet, in the meantime, before Christ returns for his people, what we know is that this battle continues in the heavenly realms. What Paul is saying is that when we unite here at Village Bible Church and at other churches all around the world... When we unite together to worship the risen Christ without any walls of distinction, without saying there's certain people who are out and certain people who are in, coming together to love each other and care for one another and grow together, and that, that picture is being displayed not only in the physical world, we see it, the people around us see it, okay, but it's not just being displayed in the physical world. It's also being displayed in the heavenly realm. These creatures who, who are duking it out in the spirit world are seeing a beautiful, united, loving, worshipful church, and it is bringing God glory. It is displaying the wisdom of his eternal plan that is being worked out perfectly. Here's how Paul says it. Look at this. Verse 10, he says, through the church, that is through the united body of Christ all around the world, with no distinctions, this joined, unified body, through this, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Pause there. There is something about us gathering together that displays God's wisdom in working out his plan, not just here, not just for people to see, but in the heavenly realms. Now, how does this work? I don't totally know. What does it look like in the spiritual realm? I don't know. Here is my guess. I'm probably way off on this. In the first service, I said, this isn't in the Bible, and then I realized I'll get fired if I keep saying I'm up here saying things that are not in the Bible. So what I will say is, I'm trying to picture what this looks like, this battle in the heavenly realm and God's wisdom being displayed to these heavenly creatures. Okay, you have, and again, you have angels and demons, and I don't even know what they look like, but they're up there and they're battling. And then we come here and we gather together with no distinctions, no one left out, everyone a part of it. And like earlier, we start singing these songs of worship to the risen Jesus, lifting our voices higher and higher. And I just have this picture that, that these angels and demons are sort of battling it out and wrestling. Or I don't know, they have swords or something. I don't know what it is. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And the voices of God's people get louder and louder and louder from his gathered, unified church. And they pause for a moment and look over and go, what? what is, what's going on over there? What is that? 
I see? The wisdom of God being worked out as his plan is coming together for everyone to be unified in their worship of him. And they look over and they go, look, look at that. That's amazing. What, what is that? That's wisdom. And they, they go, ah, whatever. They, they get back and they go back to battling because that's all they can do. And they battle and battle and battle and battle. And then God's word begins to be preached and proclaimed and his people are listening and God is using it to change them, to make them more like Jesus. And they, they stop again and they go, what, what's, what's going on? What? Oh, they're in that book again. We know how that book ends too. It doesn't end very well for us. And they listen for a little while and then they go back to doing the only thing they can do. They get back to their wrestling, their fighting, their arguing, their back and forth and whatever that spiritual battle looks like. What Paul is telling us, sisters and brothers, is when we gather together to worship the risen Jesus, not keeping anyone on the outside, not saying you're welcome here but you're not welcome here, a beautiful family together. When we worship the risen Jesus in song and word and prayer, in caring for one another as sisters and brothers, when we worship the risen Jesus, the message about God's perfect unfolding plan coming together is not only heard here, it's not only heard in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, it is heard all the way in the heavenly realm, even demons who know this is not going to end well for them have the glorious message of God's saving plan proclaimed to them. So when you come here to worship, again, I wish I could explain it a little better, but when you come here to worship, what do you know? You're here for yourself to be fed and grow. You're here for your sisters and brothers to help them be fed and to grow. But in some way, not only are you serving yourself and others, not only are you building into each other, but somehow God's glory is being displayed in the heavenly realms. I mean, it's beautiful to think about, even if we don't have a lot of details. It's glorious to think about. It's what has Paul so excited here that he wants to tell the Ephesians that he's going to pray for them, and he pauses and he goes, wait a minute, I, I got to talk about this mystery, this eternal plan that's being rolled out. Jews and non-Jews together worshiping God. It's being declared here, and it's being declared there as well. That's how wonderful this is, coming together to worship the risen Christ. That God's plan being declared to Paul and us, but also being declared in places we can't even see. And Paul is unbelievably excited about this, partly because he understands the goodness of God's plan as it is being revealed. He understands the goodness of the gospel, that it is for anyone, all can be saved. And Paul, as he is feeling the weight of this mystery being revealed, this eternal plan being shown to us, what we see in Paul is this guy savors Jesus. He's having the plan revealed to him. He's declaring the plan to other people. He's seeing it worked out. Jew and non-Jew, race, ethnicity, money, all that, none of it matters. Everybody can come to Christ. He's seeing it worked out. He is stunned by it, and what it does is it makes him savor Jesus even more. 
the fact that this plan was in place at all, the fact that it was revealed to him, the fact that he gets to declare it to God's people, the fact that everyone's coming together united, declaring God's wisdom and goodness and glory to the people around them, but also to people or beings in the heavenly realm. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. God is being proclaimed. And you see in Paul a man who loves Jesus deeply. And the fact that this plan is being worked out even takes it to another level. Now, this is a written letter here. We can't hear Paul's voice. But I think, I'm going to read a few of these verses here. I I think as you hear this, as you read this, you will get a sense of the gratitude that Paul has, of the love that he has for Jesus, of, of how just unbelievable this is. Almighty God has been working this out, and it's perfect, and it's awesome. And Paul and we get to be a part of this. It's incredible. Look at verse 7, and just listen to how Paul says this here in these next few verses. Of this gospel, that is the gospel that anyone can come to faith in Christ, anyone can be a part of God's family. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose, no accident, the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Pause there. You see, you get a sense for what's going on with Paul here. I mean, his plan's being worked out by God. It's planned before time began because it's not a human plan. It's being worked out perfectly. And now we get this great blessing that people in generations before Paul did not get. We have the full plan revealed to us, and we have the ability to tell others about it. Paul is amazed at this. He loves Christ. He is savoring everything that comes about because of this good news. Savoring the forgiveness, savoring the promise of eternity, savoring the love of a God who would come to earth to save his rebellious people. He makes us, we rebel, and then he saves us. It's extraordinary. And Paul loves Jesus. He's savoring Jesus. This is not a sort of religious ritual on Paul's part. He doesn't just go through the motions here. Paul loves Christ. Do we go through the religious rituals? Are we here today because this is what Christians do? You know, we wake up and get ready and have breakfast and go to church. Are we in a small group because, oh, that's what we're supposed to do? Do we pray and read the Bible and serve because, oh, that's what we're supposed to do? Or do we do it because we savor Jesus? When we sing those songs, are we really praising our great God? Or are we singing because that's what we're supposed to do? You know, we don't want the people around us to see us not singing. 
Yeah, so we'll go ahead and, right? Or are we worshiping because we savor Jesus? There are a lot of things in our lives that we savor. Do we savor Christ, though? I was just at the Chicago Auto Show. Saw all these people sitting in these nice cars, eyes wide open, right? Love these cars. I saw them looking at the Lamborghinis and the Bentleys, and from a safe distance, of course, you know. You don't get close to those cars, but they're looking at them longingly. Oh, if only I could have that car, savoring the moment. I bought this uh, at, at the auto show. I don't really care about the cars. I care about the food. I go to the auto show. They have a booth that sells delicious fudge. So I bought this little quarter-pound uh, thing of, of uh, peanut butter fudge. And I brought it home. It's on my kitchen counter right now. Don't you dare go to my house and take any of it. All right? I've had a few little sort of shavings of this peanut butter fudge. How do you think I eat this peanut butter fudge? You know, you think I, like, throw it in my mouth, quickly chew, swallow it. You know, it's here and gone just like that, like medicine or something. You think that's how I eat it? No way. You know what I do? I put the peanut butter fudge in my mouth, and I just kind of let it sit there. Why? Because I want every taste bud in my mouth to enjoy this. Every single one. I want to savor this. It's delicious. I love it. There are many things in our lives that we treasure, that we savor, enjoying every moment of it. The question for us, though, is do we savor Jesus in the same way? Are we going through the motions in our religious life? The only way to truly appreciate Jesus is to, like Paul, reflect on the unfolding of God's eternal plan. He invited you into his family. He invites everyone into his family. What kind of an amazingly good, kind, loving, merciful, gracious God does that? A God who deserves worship. A God who deserves to be loved and savored. And that's what Paul does. Now, amazingly, Paul does this even as he is in prison, which shows us that there are times that God's eternal plan may involve suffering. There's a chance that things may not go the way we want them to go, all because of our relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about suffering because you're, you're getting older and things hurt, even though that's, that's rough, right? I'm not talking about suffering because there's a financial struggle or because uh, there's a relationship problem, maybe a marriage or with your parents or kids or whatever. I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. That is suffering, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about suffering because of his relationship with Christ, specifically. Paul writes from prison. You can see this in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... He says down at the end, I ask you, verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is in prison because of his faith in Christ. He's in prison because he's been telling other people about Jesus, getting churches started, spreading the gospel. He is in prison for Christ. This would have been in his day one of the most shameful things that could happen to someone. You go to prison, you're shunned by family and friends, no one talks to you ever again, you have no way to make money if you ever get out. I mean, shameful. And yet, what does Paul say? Because he understands God's unfolding plan. 
Paul doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the government. I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the the Roman governor. No, he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you people. Because Paul understands that his suffering is not for nothing. He understands that his suffering is all for Christ. God is using it as part of his plan. We, I hope, will not suffer like Paul, will not be imprisoned for our faith, will not risk death for our faith. I, I, you don't know what the future holds, but I, I hope that's not what we have to deal with. And yet there are ways that we suffer for our faith. There are Thanksgiving dinners and birthday parties that are tense because we follow Jesus and family members don't. And they know we love him, and they know that we will defend him, and they know that we want them to follow him. And so there is this tension in our families, and they can push you out, and that's a form of suffering for Christ. Again, not death, not prison, but giving something up for Jesus. You young people who are in school, you talk about Jesus to the people in the hallways, some may be interested, some may mock you, Some may push you out of the friendship circle. They may talk about you behind your back. There is a price to be paid, suffering to be had, all because of the cause of Christ. And what Paul says to encourage us is it's all part of God's plan. Stay strong. He's good. He's faithful. He's with you. Paul sees it's all part of that mystery that is being revealed. God never promises us a cakewalk in this life. Sometimes I wish he did, but he doesn't. He says, it may be rough all because of Christ. There are people who hate Jesus, and that means they hate us. So what's going on here, sisters and brothers? The Apostle Paul invites us to understand God's plan. It's always been in place. God's working it out perfectly. We know it. It's been revealed to us. It's revealed to beings in the heavenly realm that are battling it out. The plan is for a beautiful, diverse, unified church to be worshiping the risen Jesus every time they gather. And through that, we're all grown into a deeper love of Christ, a better relationship with Christ. We're being made more like Christ, so we savor Christ, even if we have to suffer for him. My prayer for you, and I'll pray here in just a moment, is that each of you, myself included, that we would be drawn into that kind of relationship with Jesus because of the knowledge of God's perfect unfolding plan that's for our good that we would truly savor Christ no matter what comes our way.